Oh 
change my heart, oh God. May I be like you. Hallelujah. Is that your desire this morning? Man, I pray that He just, you would invite Him to come into your heart, man, and search you and know you in a deeper way, amen. We just need a cleansing and a pouring out ourselves, amen. Just pour ourselves out so that He can fill us, amen, with His Holy Spirit and make our lives clean, amen, from the inside out. Hallelujah. Let's sing the song together, key of F, if you would. How great is our God, amen, the splendor of the King. The splendor of the King. Oh, the majesty. Let all the earth rejoice, all the earth rejoice. He wraps himself in light, and darkness tries to hide, and trembles at his voice, trembles at his voice. How great! Our God, sing with me. Have great is our God. Oh, I will see. Have great, how great is our God. Age to age, He stands. Oh, Time is in his head, beginning and the end, beginning and the end. And the bride in Christ, our world, uniting time has come. Soon we're going home. Hallelujah. Oh, yes. Hallelujah, how great is our God. Won't you sing with me, how great is our God. And all will see how great, how great is our God. Name above all names. Oh, name above. You are worthy of all praise, and my heart will sing how great is our God. Again, now, name above all names. Oh, yes, name above all names. You are worthy of all My heart will sing how great is our God. How great is our God. Oh, and how great is our God. Sing with me how great is our God. And all will see how great. 
how great is our God. Could we sing name above all names again? Oh, name above all names. With all your heart now, you are worthy of all praise. And my heart will sing how great is our God. Come on, sing it again like you mean it. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, name above all names. Jesus, you are worthy of all praise. And my heart will sing how great is our God. Once again, how great is our God? How great is our God. Sing with me. How great is our God. And all will see how great, how great is our God. Amen. Why don't you give him a hand of praise this morning? Oh, Lord, we lift your name on high, Lord Jesus. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Amen. Musicians can just play that softly. We're going to take our special needs to the Lord. Amen. I believe your praise and worship has pleased our Heavenly Father. Amen. Hallelujah. I'm going to ask Brother Ben McCafferty. Oh, I'm sorry. Excuse me. Brother Ben Pritchard, if you would make ready. Oh, he stepped out of the building. All right. Well, we're going to ask Brother Andy Irish uh, to come at this time and take our needs before the Lord. Amen. We have many folks that are not with us today. Amen. Um, we want to remember these families in prayer, the McCafferty family. Amen. If you would remember them in prayer, they're not with us. Also, the Stevens family. Brother David is uh, not feeling well, dealing with the virus. If you remember him in prayer in the family as well. The Whitlock family also, Sister Carrie, Brother David, if you'd remember that fam- <clears throat> excuse me, that family in prayer as well. Amen. I have a request here from Brother Ron Knobloch for his mother. She had a bad fall. Amen. So we want to remember her in prayer. I'm sure that was very painful, so let's keep her in prayer. Um, if you'd remember Brother Troy Hughes in prayer, I don't see the family with us. Remember the Hughes family. Amen. Um, Brother Keith and Brother Matt are also not with us. Uh, they're traveling, so if you remember them in prayer, amen. The Drum family as well. And also Brother Jason Mall was not able to be with us today. Amen. So let's remember these families in prayer, amen. I know their, their heart's desire would be to be here with us today to partake in communion on this day, amen. So let's remember them in prayer. Do you have unspe- unspoken needs, amen, to remember? Amen. God knows your needs, and we'll pray with you, friends. Lovely Lord Jesus, we bow our heads this morning, Father, and we say thank you, Lord. The first Sunday of the year, Father, we find ourselves in your house worshiping you. And Lord, that's such a privilege and such an honor to come before your throne and worship the King of Kings. And Father, we come and we ask, Lord, that you'd forgive us. 
Lord, we've done many things wrong in your sight. And we claim the blood, Father, that you would forgive our sins of omission and sins of commission and those things that we've said, done, thought, everything that was displeasing to you, Father, we just ask that the blood cover it. And Father, as we approach you this morning, you've heard the needs of the people. You've heard what was read on this list in front of me, Father. And as I lay my hands representing your hand on this list, Father, I pray you would answer every prayer according to your perfect will. Lord, those that are suffering in body, we ask that the great physician would draw near and just touch them, Father, and minister to them. Father, those that are maybe suffering in the mind or in the the emotional realm, Father, we ask that you would draw near and minister to them as well. Those that are traveling, may you give them traveling mercies, Father. Lord, maybe those that just didn't come to church because the enemy had them down, Father, I pray you would lift them up, Lord Jesus, and bring them back in through these gates with joy and thanksgiving. And Father, as we change the order of the service, we pray for the man of God who will stand behind this sacred desk, stand before your bride and minister to her. Lord, we have not come to hear from our pastor. We have come to hear from the throne room this morning, Father. Lord, open up our hearts that we may receive this word, Father, that we may feed, Lord Jesus, that spiritual seed and may it grow this year more than it ever has before, Father, that we'll get that body change, Lord. And Father, we love you. We appreciate you, Father. Those that raised their hands that were unspoken, Lord, it is spoken to you. And may you answer them, Father. We give you this day and we ask it all in the precious and most holy and wonderful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you, Brother Andy. You can have your seats. Amen. Let's sing this song together. Key of G, in Christ alone will I glory. In Christ alone will I glory. Though I could pride myself in battles won. For I've been blessed beyond measure. And by His strength alone I overcome. Oh, I could stop and count successes like diamonds in my hands. But those trophies could not equal to the grace by which I stand. In Christ alone I place my trust And find my glory in the power of the cross In every victory let it be said of me My source of strength My source of hope is Christ alone. In Christ alone do I glory, for only by His grace I am redeemed. For only His tender mercy could reach beyond my weakness to my need. And now, 
I seek no greater honor than just to know Him more and to count my gains and losses to the glory of my Lord. In Christ alone I place my trust and find my glory in the power of the cross. In every victory let it be said of me my source of strength my source of hope is Christ alone in Christ alone in Christ alone I place my trust and find my glory in the power of the cross. In every victory, let it be said of me, my source of strength, my source of hope. Is Christ the Lord? Could we sing the first verse again? In Christ alone will I glory, though I could pride myself in battles won. For I've been blessed beyond measure, and by His strength alone I overcome. I could stop and count successes like diamonds in my hands. But those trophies could not equal to the grace by which I stand. Could you stand and sing with me? In Christ alone, I place my trust and find glory in the power of the cross. Just lift your voice. In every victory, let it be said of me, my source of strength, my source of hope in Christ alone. Come on, sing it again. In Christ alone. power of the cross. In every victory, let it be said of me, my source of strength, my source of hope is Christ alone. Oh, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Man, I pray that that's your source of strength, my friends. Hallelujah. Let's sing one more song before our pastor comes as he's making his way. Amen. Day star shine down on me. Same key. Lily, lily. Lily of the valley. Let your sweet rose. 
Show 
people said amen you may be seated don't lose your singing voice for a moment the musicians if you just hold fast for a second i'd like to go back to um a song and also to pray again as well there's a number of requests that i did not give jaron this morning and uh we want to remember those so if you bring up the second uh slide there that would be great um i spoke with brother david stevens this morning and uh he uh he is doing some better. Uh, he had to go to the hospital yesterday. They diagnosed uh, pneumonia, and they gave him some uh, good antibiotics and, and medication that he needed. And so he uh, was released yesterday afternoon. He asked uh, us to remember him in prayer. Uh, been a very tough week for Brother David, so we want to remember him and his whole family in prayer. Now, uh, Brother Troy and Sister Connie are not here today, and... Uh, they have a, uh, it's an adopted son. They have, it's a, actually a nephew, and his name is Kent. And his wife, Debbie, both have the virus, and they were with the Hughes around Christmas Day. But uh, Brother Troy and Sister Connie are doing okay. They just asked us, if you don't mind, to remember them in prayer. Uh, their, their son and um, daughter-in-law are, are feeling quite rough. They had to uh, go to the hospital yesterday, so we want to remember them. Uh, Brother Anwar is uh, still in Pakistan and will be traveling soon. Brother Tom Ward uh, and Sister Kim will be traveling tomorrow, Lord willing. Sister Lily is not here, and she's traveling, I think, tomorrow or tomorrow. Uh, Madeline and Grace are not here. They're traveling uh, as well. We want to remember them. Uh, I was going to say good to have Sister Tracy with us, good to have the Pascals with us. Uh, we appreciate you being here today. We want to continue to remember Brother Roger Clayville uh, in prayer and uh, still recovering from the trauma that he had in the fall. And uh, so we want to remember him uh, especially. It's a difficult situation. Also as well, Brother Mark Sylvester is up in Baltimore visiting his, with his mother. And, of course, we want to remember Sister Gregg. And uh, Sister Frida said that uh, Sister Greg, she, she's different every time she calls her on the phone and talks to her. And they FaceTime together all the time because that's really all they can do. And um, uh, she's, uh, you know, she, yesterday she was uh, talking about taking a road trip with some of her friends and, and uh, going across the country. But otherwise she was, you know, she told, assured Sister Frida that she was feeling just fine. And uh, we want to continue to remember her and her needs in prayer. They're going to have a meeting tomorrow uh, with the nursing staff there and the hospice people. Uh, they're going to, I think, probably do an assessment again just to see where Sister Greg is. So uh, that's, that's kind of an ongoing thing, and uh, we'd like you to continue to hold that one on your prayer list. Uh, Brother Ethan and Sister Anna are not here today. We want to continue to hold them up in prayer. 
Um, we have a couple of, uh, I was speaking also uh, this morning to Brother Ben McCafferty, and he, uh, virus-wise, they seem to be pulling out and doing better. Uh, Brother Ben has got some real issues with his back, and he's going to be seeing a chiropractor tomorrow. He's not been able to go, but he's going to be going tomorrow, Lord willing. So uh, he asked us to remember that need, especially in prayer. Uh, I wanted to say also, too, that we are, are just delighted at the progress that's being made over in the sanctuary over there. I haven't been in this morning, uh, just been tied up, but uh, seen some pictures and uh, just a really great job. And Brother John, we appreciate that, and Jeremy and all of the, the folks that are involved. And uh, we are thankful for the progress being made, especially over the, the holiday time. Uh, Brother George Smith sent me some pictures here. This is Managua, Nicaragua, and uh, books have arrived there, and uh, they're very happy about that. But this is Brother Manuel Lopez. I've never met Brother Lopez, but uh, he is uh, very well known in the country of Nicaragua. pastor has been there for many years, and uh, these are just some shots of him giving out some of the books there for the, uh, for the people, and for them to have these in their language is really uh, really special, really great for them. So uh, we're, we're thankful for that. Uh, wanted to mention as well that um, as you uh, probably would have gotten an email, we're going to have a drive-by shower for Sister Trish and uh, Nengamaza. And uh, they're not here today. She wasn't feeling real good. And uh, you should have gotten a notice. If you didn't get a notice, make sure you let us know. Uh, but on January 17th, it'll be from 2.30 to 3.30, and they'll have refreshments there for everybody. Everybody stays in their vehicle, and we're going to uh, do a drive-by for Sister Trish uh, on that afternoon, and uh, they're excited. Now, in their culture and in their country, they've never, they don't do things this way. And so this is all brand new for them, and they're excited. They told their families back in Africa about this, and their families were very intrigued and very excited about this. So uh, we should, what we should do is probably video it and, you know, send the video back and let them know. Now, to be honest, I've never been to a, sh- a drive-by shower either, so uh, this is kind of good. And I'm actually glad, in, you know, I don't mean this disrespectfully in any way, but I've always been thankful that I'm male so I don't have to go to baby showers and uh, have to be there. But nonetheless, uh, uh, January, I better quit, January 17th, uh, that's when that'll take place there. So if you have any uh, questions, just let us know. Sister Becky, Sister uh, Kristen helping out there. So uh, we just trust that the Lord will bless the Nangamazas, they're, they're excited, and they're actually going to be moving soon to a new place, uh, a larger larger apartment, larger place, so uh, that will be happening pretty soon as well. Um, I told them, I said, you know, you just, I said, when you're not here, we miss you so much. And, and I said, you're, you're just like family. And they're, they're just excited that we would consider them to be family. But uh, we, they're just wonderful folks, and we're just honored to have them with us. Uh, good to have the Knobloch here today. God bless you. Didn't get to say happy anniversary. How many years was your anniversary? You had to think, Brother Ron. 32. <laughs> 32, all right? And their anniversary is on Christmas Eve. So God bless you both. Good to have you. Uh, good to have you here today. Good to have Brother Danny and uh, all the all the families today. And uh, as Brother Jared mentioned, we have a number of families that are uh, that are out today, and um, we miss them certainly when they're not here. 
Now, uh, Sister Judy Arnold sent me this quotation here by Spurgeon just before he passed away, and I thought it was a good, good, uh, good saying for the beginning of the year, and this is the resolution that he made. Let's rest in God's sovereignty, lean fully on God's guidance, and rely on God's strength, and live for God's glory. I thought that was a good way to state it to, to begin a year. Uh, let's rest in God's sovereignty, lean fully on God's guidance, rely on God's strength, and live for God's glory. Um, someone mentioned, I, I, I thought the analogy was really good. Somebody mentioned that uh, 2020 being over, it's not really quite over. It's kind of like gum stuck to the bottom of your shoe. That every step you take, you're still reminded a little bit that it's there. I thought that was a good analogy. Um, so we aren't really truly past uh, 2020 and the effects of it, but uh, I, I just know this that uh, you know th- there's there's probably a whole lot uh, more in store that uh, none of us could probably ever imagine. We never imagined 2020 would be like it is. I remember last year we started out 20, uh, 2020 uh, just like any other year. Now we start out 2021, and uh, you know our hope is that you know, things are not like 2020. Well, they may not be. They may be quite different altogether than what we expect. And rather than spend my energy predicting what it's going to be like, because I really have no idea, I would rather practice this, to rest in God's sovereignty. Listen, he, he knows all about it. He always knows what's best. He knows the path we should take. And I believe when we put our rest in that and we put our confidence in his ability to see us through, uh, it's going to be a whole lot less stressful for you personally, and it's going to be a whole lot su- more successful for you as, uh, you know, as members of the body of Christ. And so we just want to rely on God's strength. You know, we, uh, we, we, in a sense, our resources seem futile in times like this because there's a whole lot you can't do. But uh, with God, nothing's impossible. So we, we, just, we need to remind ourselves of those things and, and move forward with that kind of an attitude and that kind of an approach. So uh, we are we're thankful that we have his presence always to lean upon. Let's stand to our feet this morning. Let's look into the word of the Lord. Uh, we're going to touch this subject again, the marks and seals. So take your Bible, if you don't mind. Let's go to Isaiah 35. And at the end of this service today, we're going to uh, honor the Lord in our communion. Uh, this morning, we're going to do um, just the, the bread and the wine. And uh, we'll... Uh, get back to doing our foot washing again when we, that's fine, musicians, you want to take your seats there, it'll be fine. And uh, we'll get back to doing our normal communion later on. But um, for this service and in this way, trying to keep everybody safe as we can, we'll do our, uh, our communion at the end of this service today. So, everybody ready to have church? All right, Isaiah chapter 35, and let's, let's pick it up at verse 8. And these are prophecies now <clears throat> that are uh, restorative pro- prophecies. These are, these are promises that God is making through Isaiah about the restoration uh, of the land and the restoration of the people of God and uh, all the different things that are going to happen in Israel. And he says in verse 8, chapter 35, And a highway shall be there, and a way, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it, but it shall be for those, the wayfaring men, though fools, shall not err therein. That's nice to read that. No lines shall be there, nor any ravenous beast shall go up thereon. 
It shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with songs and everlasting joy upon their head. And they shall obtain joy and gladness and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Heavenly Father, we pray now for thy divine blessing upon this service. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunities we have to be able to worship you in spirit and in truth. But as we approach the word this morning and as we look ahead in a new year, we pray, dear God, that you would forgive us of anything, Lord, that would be contrary to the moving of the Holy Spirit. Anything in our lives that would be a hindrance to the moving of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, we pray that you would have free course among us. We're not expecting any kind of a new message. But Lord, we pray for a fresh outpouring upon the word we have. That it might become more real. That it might become more powerful in our lives. And Lord, it might give us the strength that we need to face each new day. We commit our needs to you today. We commit the people who are not well into your hands, Lord, and ask that your grace and your healing virtue would flow to them. Father, may you just take complete control of this service now for your glory. And, and Lord, we approach your word respectfully and ask that you would just open it to our hearts and be the teacher and the sower who sows it deep within the soil of our hearts. We give this time to you now in Jesus Christ's lovely name. Amen. Amen. And all God's people said, you may be seated this morning. All right. Now let me preamble a little bit. And uh, the reason I I mentioned preambles is because lately I've been listening to some older sermons of Brother Branham. And in some of the preambles, he's answered more questions for me than uh, I, I ever thought. You know, I've, I've listened, I think, to every sermon. And, uh, you know, when you go back and listen to him, and sometimes just in his opening remarks, he'll make some really uh, striking statements and answer questions or comments that people have made to him. And it's been really helpful. But in this little preamble, we'll find that it will connect uh, to things that lay ahead as well. Now, <clears throat> um, we find in, in 2 Timothy that Paul, in his departing moments of time, he leaves Timothy this piece of advice. There's many, many pieces of advice in 2 Timothy, but this is one. He says, of these things, put them in remembrance, charging them before the Lord, that they strive not, the people strive not about words to no profit, but to the subverting of, hear, of, of the hearers. And study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So here's something for you to say to the people, but here's something for you to keep in mind as kind of a commission, that I want you to make sure that when you take the word of God, you divide it rightly. Dividing rightly is always a good piece of advice, but you've got to have the right interpretation. Correct? I mean, there's lots of very sincere people and in this little study we've done on the mark of the beast and the seal of God, uh, we've found l- that there are lots and lots of opinions and lots of ideas out there in the world, especially in the Christian world, about what those, uh, uh, what those uh, verses in the Bible actually mean, what they actually talk about. And we're not going to go back and deal with any of those at all, but they're all there. So it's not for a lack of sincerity, neither is it a lack of study, but it's a lack of the right interpretation. And so therefore, Paul is telling Timothy that what you want to make sure you do consistently is to rightly divide the word of truth. 
And make sure that you're giving the right interpretation of the Word of God. Because you can apply it sometimes in lots of different ways. It doesn't always mean that you're right. This is what Paul advises Timothy to do. Rightly dividing, the phrase actually means to cut straight or to proceed <coughs> excuse me, on straight paths. And to teach the truth directly and correctly. Now you remember uh, back in the day when Elijah, Elijah was going off the scene... And he came across the field when Elisha was plowing and took his mantle off and just threw it over his shoulder. And Brother Branham said that uh, what he did was uh, he just gave uh, Elisha that mantle. And he said for the next ten years, Elisha didn't do anything but just learn. And he said the reason that he chose Elisha was because he could plow in a straight line. And he said he was going to need that because he was going to handle the word of the Lord. He, he was, God noticed that about Elisha, that he was able to plow in a straight line. Paul is using the same advice to Timothy here. That make sure when you preach, you preach it straight. You tell the people straight, tell them correctly, and, and make sure that uh, this is the truth uh, of the word of God for this particular hour that you're living in. Because... Uh, this is this is the way God's word is to be handled. So that's what God credited Elisha for back in the day. Now, <clears throat> we find also in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 that Paul writes this and says, Now let us not tempt Christ as some of them. And to them he's referring to is the children of Israel that followed Moses, the ones that were out in the desert. And he's advising the people in the New Testament church now. This is Paul in the book of Corinthians. And he's advising the people, he said, let us not tempt Christ. Well, you know, Paul would never say that if you couldn't do it. The people in, in the Old Testament times did do it. And Paul is making sure that the people in the New Testament church don't do this, as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpents. And neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. And all of these things happened unto them for examples... Guess who for? But us. Paul wanted the aid to people through the, the ages, the believers across time, would make sure they remembered these lessons that God responded to the attitude of the people back there in the wilderness. That God responds to people who do not divide the word rightly. God responds to that. And as we mentioned here in the uh, previous scripture, that when when uh, people strive about words to no profit, it only subverts the hearers. It doesn't edify the hearers. And so we don't want to do that. God will respond to that, and God will respond to this as well. And all of these things happen to them for examples and are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world uh, are come. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. There's always to be peppered in our ministry and peppered in our Christian experience. There's always to be a humility that characterizes the people of God. Right? We are not here to tell the Holy Spirit what to do. We are really not here to tell one another what to do. We are not here to be hypercritical of everybody within the body. We are here to learn, to grow, become strong. Lord, show me my weak areas. Help me to build up strength where I need to have strength, and so forth. And that's the best approach for us to take. Now, in talking about rightly dividing the word of truth, uh, think about it this way. And I've mentioned this, I think, one time before. 
that when it comes to the Old Testament and the New Testament, there are some things that came through the Old Testament and stopped at Calvary's cross and proceeded no further. Then there were some things that came through, Cal- came through the Old Testament and came to Calvary and were changed after that. Then there were some things that came from the Old Testament that carry right on with no change at all. Let me give you an example. In the Old Testament, everyone who made an offering for sin brought the blood of an animal as a recompense for, the, for that sin. In the New Testament, there is no requirement anywhere for anyone to, to kill an animal in order to have a sacrifice for sin, right? That stopped at Calvary. And I'm glad it stopped at Calvary. Now, by one offering, the blood of Jesus Christ, there is an offering made for sin. We think about the year of Jubilee, for instance. In the Old Testament, it was a cycle of every 50 years that uh, the believers were able to uh, you know, be released from their debts and released from their servitude and their slavery. Every 50 years when that tr- uh, tr- trumpet of Jubilee sounded, uh, then, then it was over. When, that came, when, when Jesus came on the earth, he made a different proclamation. He said that he whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Isn't that right? And so it did not require a 50-year cycle. You remember when Jesus stood in the temple in Luke chapter 4. Remember he said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Remember when the, the, the rabbi handed him the book and he read in Isaiah 16 and he closed it up and he said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Remember that? And so now he was here to fulfill the promise that was made in the Jubilee. And so now we don't have to wait 50 years, thank God. Now, he whom the Son sets free is free indeed. So we still experience a Jubilee, but it's different than it was in the Old Testament. Are we okay? Calvary did that. There's one thing, though, that doesn't change, Old Testament or New, and that is the whole subject of worship. People in the Old Testament... Uh, were blessed when they responded to the presence of God. And when they recognized the presence of God, they worshipped, right? They, they, they sang, they gave praise, they, uh, you know, they had a, uh, David was one, a man after God's own heart. In a sense, he perfected praise. And it was a wonderful thing, and God loves that, because God delights in the praises of His people. We find nowhere where that was hindered or changed at all from the Old Testament to the New. That's exactly the same in our time. And so therefore, uh, we should be people who are quick to rejoice and quick to thank God and quick to show our appreciation and quick to recognize His presence among us. How many would agree? And so, when it comes to rightly dividing the Word of the Lord uh, and, and using uh, these things for an example, you remember, we, we, we have to have examples of, of, uh, of these things, and we have to have instruction. I'm glad that we've had a prophet in this last day who gave us uh, interpretation of many things that uh, we'd be left guessing about. We'd be left following other teachers about had we not had a definitive word in our time. Now, <clears throat> let me give you a couple of little statements here, because Brother Branham said some strong things. You can imagine how back in the 1960s, this must have sounded strong but strange. And now, when you listen to it, uh, it, it's just amazing how much sense it actually makes. But God was allowing him to be able to say it back there and have it recorded so that we can have the right interpretation of of it today in a time when now it makes sense. Are we all right? So I want you to watch now today. As I, I, I just had a, a learning spree yesterday. I was just studying and looking at some things here, and I want to pass this on because 
<coughs> excuse me. In doing this little uh, subject here on the mark of the beast and the seal of God, seal of God is not a, too much of a complicated thing. Uh, we, we know that uh, those that have the true baptism of the Holy Spirit, those that, that are born again and believe God, believe His Word, uh, they are the seal of God, right? And uh, the mark of the beast is, is something that uh, Satan obviously would like to cloud. He'd like to make it a little bit more difficult to understand because he's a good person at throwing out smoke screens. So there's all kinds of interpretations about this. But one of the things that's an interesting uh, part of this whole principle of the end time and the mark of the beast and the Antichrist and so forth is this whole idea of buying and selling. All right? And so we want to deal with that just a little bit today, and then we're going to come to it in a little more detail uh, up the road here. Now, Brother Branham said, and Christ has identified the same, he said, now we see God identifying himself in all ages, manifesting his word, and making his word live. That's the identification, is the promised word of the age. God identifies himself through the promised word of an age. And what you want to do is search the scripture and find out the hour that you're living in and what's supposed to be here at that time and see if God makes that live and manifest it. Then that's the thing. We've got the right interpretation of the age. Let me repeat some of that at least. What you want to do, he said, is search the scripture, find out the hour that you're living in and what's supposed to be going on at that particular time. What's supposed to be happening at that time? And see if God makes that live and manifests. And then that's the thing. We've got the right interpretation to the age. All right. So let's just say this. That uh, when Simeon and, Han- and, and blind Anna were on the earth, they had an awareness. They had an idea of exactly what was going on on the earth, didn't they? There was only a few people who really understood what was going on at that time where the Messiah was going to be born. Mary knew, Elizabeth knew, John or uh, Zechariah knew, and Anna knew, and, and Simeon knew in the temple. But there was very, very few people that actually uh, knew what was going on until afterwards, even when Jesus said, Search the Scriptures, for in them ye think of eternal life, and they are they that testify of me. There were some people who had an idea of what was going on according to the Scripture, and they, they were living right in the right interpretation of their age. Hey, folks, I, I, I'm thankful that God came in this last day and give us such a clear understanding of the Bible and, and the Scriptures and the promises for our day so that we can know where we're living. We, we know we're not living next to... Uh, the, the next order of events for our world is not the correction of the course of this world. The next event for this world is the taking away of the Gentile bride. And 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 let me tell you, the scriptures verify that. The promises verify that. The world testifies of that. And we're living on the edge of that. God is preparing us for that. We're going through the process of change for that very thing. And then we've got, when, when we can see it happening and God bringing it to pass and see it in the scripture, see it in the, in the message of a prophet, let me tell you, we've got the right interpretation of the age. It's not because it's verified by the masses. It's not because it's verified on Google. It's because God's word is coming to pass right in your view. Now, in Jeremiah chapter 29, for example, 
Thus saith the Lord, after seventy years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you in causing you to return to this place. So it's very convenient for the children of Israel back in the days of Jeremiah. He told them, he said, set your clock, set your calendar, seventy years from now, there will be a deliverance from Babylon and you'll come back. So, hey, build houses, plant gardens, make vineyards. You're going to be there. Nothing's going to change that. But after that time, then you're going to come back. So in other words, they have the scripture. They can go back to the word of a prophet that vindicates to them after 70 years there's going to be a a shift or a move back into the land again. Good to have Ben and Rachel here. Good to have Peter and Rachel here. Good to have all of you here. I hate, hate missing folks when I... Uh, when I, when I, we welcome folks back. Let me say this. You're all, I'm glad to have all of you here today. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. God knows exactly how this is going to come out. He knows exactly when it's going to fulfill itself, right? He knows exactly when they're going to march back through the gates of the promised land. Second example, in Mark chapter 13, now remember, learn a parable of the fig tree. When her branch is yet tender and putteth forth leaves, you know that summer is nigh. This generation shall not pass until all of this be fulfilled. So we are that generation now that have a marker in time that when Israel is back in her land again, and Israel is established back as a nation and begin to bud, bud and bring forth fruit, then Jesus said, hey, lift up your head. He said, your redemption is near when that time comes. Aren't you glad for markers like that? So we're living in the fulfillment of time. But we can't help but feel like, and I chose this scripture here just to, or this picture to go with the scripture, because the scripture says, straight is the gate, narrow is the way. When we look, when I look, uh, you know, biblically, and when I, I'm, I'm reading and studying and I look ahead biblically, it, it feels to me like the way is getting narrower. And I don't know how you feel about it, but it's it's narrower. There's lots of ways to miss the path these days. There's the, the, the path that everyone is on is pretty broad, pretty wide. But the path for the people of God is a narrow path. And therefore, it, it requires you to pay closer attention to remain on that path and moving in the right direction. And that's just, that's just kind of how I feel about it. Uh, personally, it's how I kind of look at, at the future. You know, we, my goodness, we don't want to miss it. We want to make sure that we're on the path. No matter how narrow it gets, we just want to make sure that we're on the right path. What's the point of having lived and worked so hard and come through our Christian years believing that we're on the right path and we're on the wrong path? I want to be on the right path. All right, if I'm going to scale the wall, I want to make sure my ladder is leaning against the right one. I want to, I want to, I want to make it to the end. I want to make it to the top. I want to, I want to get there. And so, in order to travel the narrower path, narrowing path, then certainly we need to make sure that we pay closer attention probably than when we ever did before. And in order to do that, God sent us a messenger in the last day to help us interpret scripture so that we know what's right. That's my point. <coughs> now, all right, now watch now what he says. Now he's looking at the church ages here, and he says, Now the light of Pentecost, where it started, he said the light was gradually smothered out. We had the Nicaea Council, and then we slid into this beginning of the Dark Ages. Irenaeus, Polycarp, the rest of them 
seal their testimony with their blood until it squeezed Christianity into the darkest of days, which we know is the Dark Ages. And it was rough. When you talk about 68 million people martyred, that's a rough time. And they went into that era of darkness. And the first age on the other side of that great hump was a little bit of light, Martin Luther. And so you had Zwingli and Knox and and Luther and the beginning of Reformation coming forth there. And he said, then a little more light. And the Bible said there'd be a beast. And we know that that's the Roman papacy. And then they would form an image to that beast. So we come through that time of darkness there. Satan couldn't keep the body of Christ in darkness, and God allowed a little light to come, then a little bit more and a little bit more, until Brother Bram's like he's looking and seeing, and at the end of that we see a beast that rises. So this is interesting. What is an image? He said it's something that's made like something else. If Lincoln was in my image, God forbid, he would look something like me. You would have gray hair. Uh, you would have, because uh, my hair is turning just a little bit. Um, he would be, he would look like me, and people would look like him and say, "Whoa, whoa! I, I did, I did, I didn't know that was Lincoln. I thought it was Brother Barry." And he said, "That's the Confederation of Churches, and Pentecost is in it. It'll come a time when you either belong. There'll come a time when you either belong to an organization." Or you can't keep your door open. Now you see if that isn't true. That's the reason we pound it to death. And that's why Brother Bam spent so long in the book of Revelation in his own church. And then when God led him back to it in the last part of his ministry, he said, we pound that to death and they won't let you buy or sell unless you got that organizational mark on you. So it's going to come to that. It was not, it was not uh, required in his day. It was not prevalent in his day. But he said, as a, as a prophet now, he's looking ahead and he says, they'll come to that, you mark my words. And he said, they won't let you buy and sell unless you're part of that organization. Now, let me give you a couple of short statements here, all right? And we could, um, this is a, a, certainly a, a lengthy study, but I just want to, I picked out a few sentences here for you. Protestant denominational churches is the image of the beast. Because it's denominated just exactly like Catholicism is. So the system that arises as the image of the beast is not the beast. It just looks like the beast. And the Bible said it exercises all the power of the first beast. Right? And he's identifying exactly what it is. And he says Pentecost is a part of it. Imagine if you woke up your forefathers and told them that they were a part of a system like that. They would roll over in the grave. What should we do with Jesus called the Christ? And today, the Protestants are throwing themselves together in the economic, ecumenical council. It's making an image unto the beast. It's a satellite unto Rome. And when the economic, ecumenical council is forcing and will force every Protestant denomination into it, and it practically all is there now, and full gospel and all. Brother Branham's still preaching in the Full Gospel Businessmen's Association. And he's saying, hey, this whole thing is sliding in one direction. And there's nothing stopping it. Still happening. I can show you video clips that are, uh, that are posted where, uh, you know, they're, they're talking about their allegiance to Rome and Protestant groups talking about their association with the Pope of Rome and all the rest of it. And he said, it's making an image of the beast and it's just a satellite to Rome. A L- little bit more. 
world's falling apart. He said the political world is falling apart, and we're going right back to Rome here in the United States just as fast as we can go. The Bible said so in Revelation chapter 13. That's 1963. Conferences, 1963. The time is coming when you're either going to be put, uh, put your organization into the World Council of Churches, and if you do that, you take the image of the beast because you've got a power just like it was in Rome. And if you don't, you'll be an individual, independent church. Hey, everybody, wake up. And when you do, the image of the beast is going to close your doors and you're going to be forbidden. Guess what we are? That's why I underlined it. Guess what we are, folks, already? We don't need to reject an invitation to become part of any council. We are already an individual, independent church and proud of it. We are a sovereign church, meaning that we have no hierarchy or no headship except the Holy Spirit and the fivefold ministry within the church, and therefore we are not subject to any sort of a, uh, you know, a group or a, an organization or a headquarters or anything else. You'll be an individual, independent church, he said. If you stay outside of that, that's what you'll be. And they will be the target because they're going to have the doors closed first. I will guarantee you that the reasoning and the, the invitation presented to churches to be a part of this will be for a good cause. It'll sound logical. It'll be to either pool resources, it'll be to help people out as, as a community, it'll be to help protect ourselves maybe from a wayward government or whatever else, but in order to preserve your integrity and your openness as a church, then it'd be better off if you join this here, and he says, if you don't, you'll be an individual independent church. Well, hey, I have news for everybody who's listening today, and I have news for the person who's stalking me and all the rest of it. Uh, we are already an independent Sovereign, individual, church. And we are not at all going to make any changes to that. And all the people in the church said. <clears throat> and this is what Brother Branham said. Now, 1963, if you were sitting there, you would think, well, wow, how's that going to happen? I can see now much more, much more believably how this could happen. When you have a Supreme Court that's predominantly Catholic, you have a Catholic president who's coming in, you have, uh, you know, the changes in our nation here and, you know, the, the influences that are going on. I, I mentioned to you a little while ago about that Council for uh, Economic Development that's going on, uh, sponsored by the Church of Rome. That's really not anything new. That's just a, kind of a new package, new wrapping over something that's been going on for a long time. But below that, another level below that, which doesn't really make the news at all, is the reforming that's going on in the Vatican Bank, which is not really called the Vatican Bank at all. But the reforming that's going on is absolutely fascinating. And I'll share that with you a little bit as we go along further. I don't think we'll get to it today. But there are all kinds of changes that are happening. And you should, again, remember that just because you're not hearing about it in the news doesn't mean that God's not fulfilling prophecy. I'm here today to tell you that God's fulfilling lots of things. And that's why Brother Bram says we pound on things. We pound on certain things because we want to make sure that you get it. And the revelation of the truth of God's Word displaces what we're bombarded with in our culture. Let me say it again. That I believe it's important for us to make sure that the Word of truth we hear, and we hear here, and we hear in our own reading, in our own study, that that displaces... All of the smoke screens that exist in our world. 
that are presented by the media and by social media and all the rest of it out there. There's all kinds of ideas out there. It doesn't mean because somebody's got an idea that is true. You have to learn, we, and we learn that. We are learning that, to come back always to the Word of God and find out what a prophet said, find out what the Bible said, and that's what's important for us. And we let that displace the false ideas that we have, the false perceptions that we have. Are we okay? That's my job description. Revelation chapter 14, and the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast in his image and receive his mark, his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without, without mixture into the cup of indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels, in the presence of the Lamb, and so forth. Now remember what I told you before, is that there are, there are angels that are looking for people with the mark, but because we have a token, it exempts us from the wrath and the judgment of God. That's what tokens have always done, right? That's what tokens are meant to do, is to give someone exemption from something. Just like in the first Exodus. Now, all right, stay with me. Now, when he, this Antichrist, gets all the money under control, then he will break this covenant with the Jews, as Daniel said he would do in the midst of the last half of the 70 weeks of Daniel. And then, what will he do? And I've touched on some of these before. You can certainly research that. And he will have all of the world trade and commerce packed with the world because he'll hold the wealth of the world completely. So this beast system, this Antichrist system, is going to hold and control the wealth of the world. That's really quite a, quite a statement. It's really quite a phenomenon that that one entity like this would hold the wealth of the world and have such control. And during that time, those two prophets, during that time, during that time when he has control, now watch his words, during that time, two prophets will arise on the scene and call that 144,000. During that time when he holds control of the wealth of the world, guess what? Revelation 11 will be fulfilled. Guess what happens before Revelation 11? Revelation 10. Right? When a prophet sounds, according to Revelation 10.7, and then Revelation 10.8 is when John took the book and ate the book. And guess what? Before God turns back to the Jews, where are the Gentiles going to be? In glory. So before, before this happens... Brother Branham gives us a time marker here. He says, during that time, when this Antichrist has all money under his control and breaks the covenant with the Jews and so forth, during that time, them two prophets will rise on the scene, Moses and Elijah, and call that 144,000. We know, according to the Bible, that when these two prophets call for the 144,000, the Gentile bride is in the palace. Right? And the type is found in Genesis when Joseph revealed himself to his brothers. What did he do before he did that? He tucked his wife away in the palace. And his children put him away in there. And then he revealed himself to his brothers and says, I am Joseph. Right? So this time reference here is a very important one. That before that, or it says during that time, these two prophets will rise on the scene and call that 144,000. So, 
It seems to me that according to this page right here, that you either need to be one of the 144,000 because God's revealing certain things to you by two prophets during that day, or be the wife of Christ. Because everybody else is on earth, and everybody else is now exposed to the wrath of God. There's no more exodus for Gentile people. They're already gone. They're gone. So the time to think about uh, making an exit from this world before this happens, before this screen is fulfilled, is right now. And I will tell you this. I will tell you this for you that are here. And I don't always say it because, you know, we're, we're regular folks. We're all regular folks. But if you've got a pull in your heart to surrender your life to Christ and be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you can do it. And we'll baptize you here in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe that there's mercy still available for the people of God. And I believe that God still honors a sincere, repentant heart. I think it is a dangerous thing. As I've said many times before, it's a dangerous thing to assume that my presence here will somehow count as the grace of God in the presence of God. It does not. It does not. Association is not the same as being covered by the blood of Christ. A new birth is a new birth. And there's no replacement for it. And so it's good for us to remind ourselves of that because this is the way it's coming down to it. And as I said to you last Sunday, I think it was, that when we talk about the book of Revelation, it's sobering because it describes the end of stuff. And at the end of stuff is not the beginning of stuff when you have choices. It's the end of stuff. And it's the wind-up of things. It's the judgment of things. It's the conclusion of the matter. It is the revealing or the unmasking of everything that's there. And, and so therefore, it's, it's, a, it's a, uh, a very important time. And it's great to be on the side of the unmasker so that you know what's really the truth now. Because you know what? <laughs> except for the bride of Christ, except for the people of God, the, the, the confusion and the darkness and the cloudiness is getting worse. Isn't it? The access to excessive amounts of information at our fingertips today, in your pocket today, hasn't seemed to improve things in terms of clarity related to the Bible. I mean, people are not all of a sudden coming to a conclusion because they're, uh, you know, they're, they're searching the web and say, ah, okay, wow, there it is. Never knew. Now, who knew? That's what, that's what it actually meant. You're not going to find... I mean, you'll find information there, right? But you will not find revelation there. So this is why the book of Revelation and the study of it is so sobering because it is an unmasking of things that have been hidden through the ages and everybody lived together happily and grew in the field, if you like, John 13. Remember when... Uh, they came to, to Jesus gives the parable and he said, hey, master, somebody went through the field and sowed weeds in there. Should we go pull them out? And he said, no, leave them alone until the harvest. So now we're living in the time where all that's being pulled out. And God is separating. Because God is a separator. And so we're looking at the division of things. And of course, nobody wants it to be divided out on the wrong side. So that's why I say that to you. And I, I'm, I'm not trying to scare anybody. I'm just trying to say that that's exactly what, uh, what time we're living in. My job is to rightly divide the, the word of truth, right? And, and make sure that we're moving in the right direction. Now, watch this quote here. I'm still in the same one. He says, then what will take place? 
And then the mark of the beast of Revelation 13 will set in because he holds all the commerce, trade, and everything, everything of the world. And what will take place then? He said the mark of the beast will come in that no man can buy or sell except to him that has the mark of the beast. Well, you can see how, you can see how today, how, uh, like travel is going to be defined by, uh, for instance, whether you have a vaccine or not. Please, uh, pause for a second and make sure you understand and leave here. And everybody listening on the Internet, make sure I'm not suggesting that a vaccine is related at all to the mark of the beast. All right? Everybody all right? Listen, uh, that's, been, that's been widely talked about, but I'm not equating those two at all. All right? Are you okay? Not at all. But you can see how quickly things can change in the world. Um, you know, I mean, economies and, you know, how, how government decisions are being made. Let me tell you, government decisions are not being made in favor in favor of Scripture. It's, and don't take it personal. The government is not. You give the government way too much credit when you think they're up there in Washington scheming. How can I get Brother Caleb? How can I, how can I trick Brother Caleb? You're giving them way too much credit. They're not up there thinking that at all. This is governed by forces. Spiritual forces that move nations in certain directions and move governments in certain directions. They're not sitting there plotting with a, with a, you know, a directory of North Carolina saying, ah, now block, now block, now block. Yeah, okay, yeah, all right. He owes this much money. All right, we got him. They're not doing that. You're giving the government way too much credit if you think that's happening. These are forces that are moving everybody in a position for the end time to be fulfilled. For the end time events to be fulfilled. All right? Now, <clears throat> Brother Bram's given us this, you know, then what takes place, this happens. Then what takes place, this happens right here. So where are we when all of this takes place? The mark of the beast will come and that no man can buy or sell. So where are we when this takes place? I'll show you exactly where we are. Thank God, here's a prophet. How many believe he was a prophet? Thank God the church will be enjoying a great Three and a half years in glory don't have to go through that. You don't have to go through that where you're going to have to join an organization in order to buy or sell. Let me tell you what I think is going to happen. I do not think that when the tribulation begins, God's going to pull some switch some big lever, and all of a sudden tribulation will kick in. I believe the mechanics of it are already in the earth. But there's something holding it up. Just like, think of this example, just like you remember when the, the woes began around World War I. Remember that? And the, and, the, and the tribulation, pre-tribulation is what Brother Branham referred to it. And then the Bible says that the, the angels said to the four angels that were holding the winds of strife on the four corners of the earth, Stop! Remember that? Because there had to be a sealing go on. There had to be a completing of the bride of Christ and the children of Israel back. Israel was not even back in Israel in the First World War, right? But back then, the mechanics of the tribulation and strife in the earth 
could have been unleashed back then. But the angels stood there and were told, stop and don't let the winds of strife blow on the earth. It's in your Bible. So in other words, something could have broken loose because the mechanics are there, but God holds it up for his reasons. He's the one that has the power to hold it up, right? I believe, <clears throat> I believe <clears throat> the mechanics of the tribulation are here right now, but there's something that's holding it up. Let's look at what it is, all right? Here it is in your Bible, so you can look at it. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who, who now letteth <clears throat> will left until he be taken out of the way. Who is the one that's to be taken out of the way? But the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit is taken out of the way, then what's left on the earth can, the mystery of iniquity will absolutely have its way. Guess what the Holy Spirit is still here for? The Holy Spirit is here for you. The Holy Spirit is here to find the last one. The Holy Spirit is here to seek and find them that are His. Come on, somebody say amen. That's the reason we're still here. That's the reason why we're still holding church. That's the reason why we print books. That's the reason why that evangelism is going on around the world. That's the reason why that people are interested in outreaching and finding their own. That's not us. That's a force that's moving the people of God to be like Philip who went to, you know, on the road to Samaria and found that Ethiopian eunuch there. It's a force that moves God's people to distribute God's word in the light of the hour because the brides all got to be together under the light of the hour. And then he who now let us will let have your way. I've got my bride. I'm going to the kingdom. We have a marriage supper. See you in three and a half. Can you handle that? Hollywood has buying and selling and all that kind of thing. You know, the chips, the RFID, Walmart, the great Satan Walmart and all. I'm only kidding. Or all the other ideas that are out there only meant to be a smokescreen, only meant to divert you, only meant to take you away from truth. I believe what I've just told you is truth. you gotta, you got to sort that out yourself, but I, I believe that what I've just told you is truth because I'm quoting a true source. Then when that wicked shall be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy the brightening of his, of his coming, even whose coming is after the working of Satan, with all power and signs and lying wonders. Let me tell you, Satan works in deception. We've already established that, right? He works in deception. So his greatest deception is going to be prior to the unmasking. His greatest deception is going to be in the time when he knows his number's up. And I will tell you something, the Holy Spirit has his number. The Holy Spirit has his true identity. And the Holy Spirit revealed that to a prophet, and that prophet has revealed that or given that to us uh, so that we can still quote it here on the board and uh, we can read it and figure out exactly what all these symbols and all these types mean. Hey, the way is narrow, but if you're on the right path, let it be narrow. But God, by His grace, give us the strength to travel up the hill to where we need to go. I, this is, let me tell you, don't you believe, don't you understand that the forces that could destroy democracy... The forces that could eradicate freedoms in our country. The forces that could take our, our church here under imminent domain. The forces that could tax our income in the church. Don't you believe for a minute that that's already here? That is already here. That is already passed. That, it, that already exists. 
It's already very real. There's something holding it back. And I say this, as long as there are members of the bride still coming to this church, it will not be vented in fullness. But we're, we're moving towards it all the time. We're moving towards it all the time. And the mechanics of it is already here. I mean, Paul said the mystery of iniquity does already work. So you young people, you know, or, or the idea, and I don't mean to pick on young people. You're young, aren't you? I, I, I don't mean to pick on young people. But the assumption is sometimes among uh, people is that, uh, you know, we're, we're gonna, we're gonna kinda live the way we want, do what we want, live on the fringe until things get really bad. Well, I'm here to tell you that there's a different way that we think about that, and that is this. Things are really bad, but something's holding back the really bad until we get out of here. So God is actually waiting for you to become really good. And he's not asking you to do it. He's saying, let me do it in you. Let me bring you to a place of perfection. Let me mold you and change you. Let me get into your thinking. Let me get into your head. Let me get into your heart. Let me get into your mind. And let me uh, reprioritize things in your life. Uh, let me give you a love for things you probably never really had a love for. And let me stir things up. Let me, let me uh, reinvigorate your prayer life. You know what God will do to reinvigorate your prayer life? He very often does not bless you a whole lot with stuff because the more stuff you have, the less desperate you are with God. But the way that God will ignite your prayer life is to begin to take things away from you and then you begin to cry out to God with a desperation you never thought you had. And I'm not wishing for calamity on any one of us. I'm not looking for trouble at all. I don't pray that way. None of us do. We don't get up in the morning and pray for destruction or, or uh, you know, abandonment by uh, our employer or whatever else. We don't pray that God will take away our 401k. God forbid. We don't pray that way. But I will tell you something. If we do suffer a shock or a change in our system, it makes people pray. And we'll pray differently when we're in the valley than when we are on the mountaintop. And so therefore, we're not waiting around for things to get bad. We're waiting around till the Holy Spirit finishes dealing with us, and then he who now letteth will let, when he's taken out of the way, the Holy Spirit leaves this earth. You want to be sure you're with him. You want to be sure you're linked arm in arm with your bridegroom at that particular point. Because the bad that exists will be bad fully manifested at that time. Look, I spent a lot of time over the last couple of weeks studying about Rome and about the different things that are going on. I've been looking at current events. I've been looking at uh, things that are happening in Israel and their relationship with the Vatican. I've been looking at China and its relationship with the Vatican. It's unbelievable. Let me give you, can I give you one example? Are we all right? Can I give you one? <clears throat> it's always been a bit of a mystery as to why the Roman Catholic Church never uh, sounded the alarm or sounded a protest in the time of the Holocaust. You know, why, why, would, why would the Catholic Church not raise a resistance in the time of the Holocaust when all those people were being killed? Because it was not just Jews who were being killed. There was, there was many other people who were being killed for their faith and gypsies and all kinds of other people who were being killed. Now, the reason that that's a bit of a question is because in places like Rome, or sorry, not Rome, in places like Poland or Romania or Bulgaria or Hungary, 
places in Eastern Europe where in every single town, village, and hamlet, there's a Catholic church. Then there would have been a Catholic priest. And a Catholic priest would know what's going on in his community. Catholic priests report back up to their bishop. Their bishop goes up the chain of command. And in other words, the church knows what's going on in all these Catholic countries and Catholic communities. You cannot. I mean, it's documented. You cannot believe that they didn't know what was going on. They did know what was going on, but they turned a blind eye. One of the reasons they turned a blind eye is because of Mussolini. Mussolini allowed the Catholic Church to finally begin a bank. Because they figured, there's no way we can handle all of this money without having a real bank so that we could put our money in and allow banking to go on so that we could develop our resources and so forth. So they did. Mussolini made a deal with them. He said, you be quiet. And he says, we'll allow you to develop this bank. This bank is different from every other bank in the world because all banks are regulated. As you would know, uh, some of you finance people would know, they have regulations, they have restrictions, they have uh, reporting that they have to do in order to be accountable and so forth. And they have shareholders that they had to report to. The Bank of the Vatican only has one shareholder, the Pope. He's the only shareholder in the Vatican Bank. And what Mussolini and Hitler did back in that day was to say... Let's make a deal. And the deal was this. They said that for every German Catholic, not Italian, but every German Catholic, we're going to impose, Hitler did this, he imposed a kind of a tax on their payroll between 8 and 10% that would go directly from their pay, before they got their paycheck, directly into the offering of the Catholic Church. It was kind of like a forced tithe. I've looked at it. But anyway, um, only joking. But the German government mandated that everyone who was a German Catholic had to, had to pay, whether they wanted to or not, this between 8 and 10% of their gross income into the coffers of the Catholic Church, and it would go directly into the bank if the Pope was silent about Hitler and Mussolini and what they were doing. So to speak up against it, because the church being desperate for money, the church wanted to have this income flowing, you can imagine how many of the millions, and there were millions of German Catholics back in that day, who made good money because of their industrial expertise, and the, 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 the growth of the war machine back in Germany at that time, and how much money that would have represented. Can you imagine if you took 8 to 10% of all Catholic salary in this country and put it into one bank account and did it for years and years and years. And so the church then was reluctant to speak out against that source of revenue that they had. So when Brother Branham comes along and makes comments about money and the money that they will have control over, it makes a little bit more sense. Well, let me add a little piece to it is that many of the Jewish people back in Europe owned insurance companies. And they were big in insurance back in that day. When they were taken and brought to concentration camps and destroyed, and all of them who they had insured, their fellow Jews, and themselves, now all of a sudden those companies were left high and dry. Guess who bought all of those companies for nothing but the Catholic Church under the Vatican Bank? Bought all those insurance companies and paid out the death benefits for those dead Jews 
to themselves. So in other words, if Caleb owned an insurance company, all right, he's a Jew. He goes off to Auschwitz and he's no more. They went in because they're all connected with the bank and everything else. They went in, bought his company and got the payout for his death paid into the Catholic Church who bought the company in the first place. So if he was insured for $100,000, i pay a dollar for his company because he's no more, right? He's gone. We have documentation that he died in Auschwitz. So he's dead. So I go in for a dollar and buy his insurance company. Oh, who's died and, and his old benefits? Oh, Caleb died. Well, he's got a $100,000 insurance policy on him. So there's a $100,000 check out there somewhere. Guess what? The Catholic Church took the proceeds of the death benefits of all the Jews that they killed or sat silent while the Germans killed them, and took all of those life insurance benefits and deposited them in their own bank. Now, let me just ask you this. As a businessman, if you were getting revenue of that magnitude from six million Jews who died, would you want to raise objection to the extermination of people who have insurance policies? All I'm doing is I'm telling you that when Brother Bannon makes statements like that about money and he says they'll have it all under control and all of this kind of thing here, what you're dealing with is a spirit that moves in ways you and I, we don't even think about. We don't even imagine that human beings could do things like this to one another. And I'm not trying to horrify you or anything else. I'm just saying that we're living, listen, we're living in a time of unmasking. And here comes a prophet and rips the veil off of this stuff and says, this is what's really happening. This is what's really going on. And he says, they'll hold the wealth of the world. And this will happen. And then this will happen. He's going down through the line. Then this will happen. And he says, and (laughs) thank God we won't be here. We'll be in glory for the three and a half years. So don't tell me that evil is coming into the world. Evil is here. Where did it come from? It came when the river Euphrates was crossed by those demons that are described in the book of Revelation. The 100,000, thousand demons, you remember that? And they were loosed in this world, first against the, the Jews, Brother Branham said, under Stalin, Eichmann, and Mussolini, and all of them. He said that those, those demon forces were loosed against them. Let me, look, folks, wake up. Those demon forces haven't gone anywhere. They're here. What's holding them back? Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. The Holy Spirit is still here because you're still here. The Holy Spirit is here because the bride is still here. And he knows that if he did not restrain this system that exists in our world, in Satan's Eden, we would be devoured as quick as the rest of them actually were with nobody objecting to it. Because the moral forces back in that day of World War II should have objected. The moral entities that, that supposedly stood for what's right and righteous back in that time, and, and should, have, should have at least sounded out some cry of uh, objection or, or dis, you know, uh, you know, discontent with what's going on. And here they are, absolutely, and I've got the books at home that prove it. I'm not talking about websites. I've got the books home that prove it, and I can document it for you, and I can bring them if you want to read them and put you to sleep. But I, I, could, I could show it to all of you. It's well documented, well researched. That nothing is said. And you've got to wonder, well, why is nothing said when they know? They've got a priest in every town, hamlet, village, all across Poland. And they know people that I met 
in Poland knew what was going on by the ashes that were on their potato plants in the morning. I, I talked to people who knew. And don't tell me that a system like the Catholic Church didn't know. They did know. And said nothing. Because there's a force behind it. There are forces that are moving everything in its direction. And that evil would swallow you and I up, except for the grace of God and the protection of the Holy Spirit that covers and blankets every one of us. And you think you're just, you know, a nobody here and doesn't really matter and, you know, nobody's interested in you. I'll tell you what, the Holy Spirit's interested in you. He's interested in watching over you and the reason that we are not consumed by the evil that's in this world and swept up like every other denomination that's in this world and every other religious system that's in this world. And all, Brother Branham said, it all winds up, according to Revelation 13, all America, he said, it all winds up back in Rome. And there's lots of people say, not on my watch. That's about as true as Peter saying, well, you know, <laughs> when Jesus said that the Son of Man is going to be betrayed, given up, you know, and Peter said, no, not, not over my dead body. Because the, the prophecies that are to be fulfilled are much more powerful than your intentions. And the intentions of politicians. And the intentions of world leaders. It's going to happen. I'm here to tell you it's going to happen. We're living in a time when the book of Revelation is unmasked. All the powers that be. And this is exactly where it's all moving. Make you think. Make you really think. Because you should not be thinking that evil one day is going to come. Tribulation is going to kick in. Everything that's needed for all of that is right here. There's something holding it back. And that's the way you've got to look at it. That's something restraining the systems of evil in this world from manifesting themselves. It's already here. And by God's grace, he's working on your side. Let's stand to our feet. Let's stop there. Buying and selling, thank God. Hey, when that, when that system fully kicks in, we'll be in a place where the marriage supper is served without money, without price. It'll be a wonderful time. But not wonderful for the people of the world, but it'll be wonderful for the people of God. We're going to switch gears just for a moment here. And beginning our year, we wanted to just have our communion service, at least this part of it, the bread and the wine, to be able to gather together and to be able to be able to worship and just to be able to have a, a time of just a prayer as we begin and, and ask God's blessing as we move forward. I, I, I personally think, based on what the past has looked like, I think this year is a pivotal year. I think it'll be an important year, and I, I think it'll be something that um, I, I think we're I think we're moving with a momentum now that's different than in previous years, the last 30 years, and I I, I feel like that it, it'd be really important for us to be reminded of the fact continually that um, there are some important things that are taking place, and you want to be a part of it, and you don't want to miss it, but we have to stay really sensitive to the Holy Spirit, really sensitive to His will. So let's sing a little bit. I sing praises to you, Lord. I, I think it's uh, G. I think that's where we sing it. Let's try it there. If you don't mind, help me out. Jaron, if you want to come and, and help out here, that helps me a whole lot. I sing praises to your name. Oh, Lord, praises to your name. 
Lord, for your name is great and greatly to be praised. I sing praises to your name, O Lord, praises to your name, O Sing it again now. Let's just worship Him together. I sing praises to Your name, O Lord. Praises to Your name, O Lord. For Your name is great and Praise this morning. And because he 
between Hitler and Mussolini and them over there and forced a, a taxing and did it over here or did it among the nations or taxed churches. Now all of a sudden you're faced with a decision, right? You're going to be a part of that or you're going to be exempt from that. Brother Bram said they'll shut, they'll shut those people down. They'll shut them down in a heartbeat. And moving into that, moving into that season of time, I'll tell you what, I, I'm, I don't know about you, but I, I'm, I'm thankful that God has given us the insight He has and to know not only what's coming, but what even lays ahead, what lays beyond that. That's going to happen. But beyond that is something great for the people of God. And I, I'll tell you what, it, it, it takes the edge off the fear that, that normal people would feel. Can you imagine what it would be like to not know God? Imagine what it would be like to not have any insight into really what's going on in our time. And be left to everybody's theory and everybody's idea about where this is all going. Thank God for a prophet is what I say. Thank God for a message that has come in the last day. Thank God for the words of life and words of truth. And, and, and a light to walk in in our time when the rest of the world walks in darkness. Wow. I mean, it, it, just, it just kind of stirs me. I, I feel like I'm in the faith. It still stirs me. It's almost like you want to get baptized again and again. You know, you want to, you want to just, I don't know, it just, you just, just something stirring. And that world one day will open up, a, a, an entrance will be made manifest for us and an opening will come. I just want to be standing right around that door when that happens. I'll guarantee if I can do it, I'll wait at the edge of that door until all of you are through, and then I'll go through myself. Because it's going to be real one day. The departure of the bride of Christ will be real. And after that, you want to be in 
that place, not this place. They can have the church. They can have all of it. They can... Because you won't need any of it where you're going. But I want to be there. I know you do too. Heavenly Father, as we bow in this sobering moment, Lord, and realizing, Lord Jesus, that Satan works very, very hard in throwing smoke screens out there and trying to divert people into all kinds of ideas about what is true and what's happening and what's real and what we should be concerned about. But Lord, you, you, you knew all of that would come in this last day. I believe you knew the Internet would be here. And I believe also that you knew that sending a prophet with a message, an absolute with thus saith the Lord, and vindication besides, it would remove doubt in the hearts of the people of God. And we're thankful for that. I just want to say formally and loudly, I'm thankful for for what you sent, even before any of these different ideas and theories existed. The Lord, you sent us an absolute. I'm thankful for that. Thank you for a Bible that's becoming more clear all the time. And the world is still wondering what the shadows and symbols mean in the book of Revelation. And here we are just going through it verse by verse and looking. Therefore the redeemed of the Lord shall come with rejoicing in their hearts. And realize, Lord, that you're a God who restores. You're a God who rebuilds. You're a God who brings us back to the place that we need to be. Father, I just pray that in this assembly you would continue, Lord, to give us the freedom to be able to study and to worship and to grow in grace and in knowledge. And that, Lord, you might inspire us, Lord. You might open up things in such a way that we could lose this whole world, but we realize we've lost nothing if you're with us. Your presence abides with us. Have your way now, we pray. Bless our communion time. We commit our hearts into your keeping now, remembering those who are not with us today. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. We ask our deacons to come up and, and trustees, those are going to help here distribute the communion. Just stay where you are in your seats and we're going to bring it around to you here this morning. Switch it to F if you will and let's sing that little song, Create in Me a Clean Heart. Create in me a clean heart. Oh, God. Spirit within me, create.